Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in the Bible. God, I pray that you open our eyes to see and to our ears to hear, Lord, what you want to show us today, Lord. That by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit, and that we would be uh, ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I have a few questions for the kids. Are you ready? Are you ready, little ones? All right, so this one is fill in the blank, okay? This one is super easy because we literally just sang it, but there's a song that goes, oh, come, oh, come, blank. What is the word that comes after that? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, all right. You guys know it really well. All right, well, here's the maybe a little more complicated question. What is the meaning of Emmanuel? Jesus. What was that? God with us. God with us. Okay, yes, Emmanuel is Jesus. You guys got ahead of me. Um, but the literal meaning of the word or the name Emmanuel is God with us. All right, so here's one more question before we start talking about the name Emmanuel. Here's one more question for the kids, and this is more open-ended. What, or, yeah, what do you do when you are scared? Okay, you talk to Jesus, you talk to God. What else? Who do you go to? You go to your parents, right? Like when you are scared in the middle of the night and the wind is blowing and the trees are shaking and the rain is hitting the window and you're like, I can't sleep, who do you go to? You go to your parents, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the reason why kids go to their parents is because for them, at the time, their parents are the, I mean, it sounds kind of weird to say it this way, but for them at the time, their parents are the most powerful people that they know, right? The, the ones that can help them at the time. And so the reason why I mention this is because um, usually when we find ourselves in a situation of trouble, in a situation of fear, when we are afraid, our instinct usually is, to go to something or someone that we believe to be the most powerful, right? We will go and and seek for the solution or for protection or for relief from whatever is the most powerful thing or person that we know. And so, um, you know, usually throughout the history of humanity, whenever there is trouble, people would look to a king, right? Or people would look for a solution in, um, I don't know, maybe a revolution or a very powerful speech or a, a very powerful person or, you know, you name it. Usually we are looking for the solution or for comfort for our fear somewhere where we think it is powerful. Now, here's an interesting thing. Throughout the story of the Bible, 
whenever people find themselves, not every time, but oftentimes when people find themselves in trouble, God's answer is a child will be born. Think about it for a second. For in, in, in Genesis, you know, the, the, the worst downfall in human history, when Adam and Eve sinned against God and, and sin entered into the world, what does God promise? He, promise? he promises that through the offspring of the woman that, that someone would come to crush the serpent, right? Later on, God makes a promise to Abraham. He says that his offspring would become a great nation and he would bless all the nations of the earth through him and through his offspring. But there is a little problem. Sarah, his wife, is barren. She cannot have babies. And so Abraham tries to take matters into his own hands, but God says, no, and this is a quote, literal quote from God. God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Right, so Abraham had a problem and God's answer was, there will be a child. And then just to give you one more example, at the time of the judges, right? The time of the judges is probably the worst or arguably one of the worst times in the history of the people of Israel. They are at risk of losing their identity. They are at risk of losing the promised land. They are in, in absolute disaster. And I love how the book of Ruth opens. It says, in the time of the judges, right? So immediately as the book says, in the time of the judges, you know that there's trouble. You know that this is not a good situation. But how does the book of Ruth end? It ends with Ruth and Boaz having a baby. And then this baby would be King David's grandfather, right? So every time, almost every time, or not almost every time, but often we see that God, God's solution to our problems is the birth of a baby. Well, when the promise of Emmanuel was given, that was, that was the case. There was a king that was going through a lot of trouble. The name of this king is Ahaz. He was going through a lot of trouble. He was in great fear. And God's solution was, there will be a child born and you will call his name Emmanuel. So that is the context of the, of the, of the prophecy of Emmanuel. Of course, we know, as the kids already told us, that this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus, right? That Jesus is Emmanuel. But to get there, I would like us to spend a little bit of time, or actually really all of our time this evening, uh, talking about the history of King Ahaz. King Ahaz is the one that received this prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. So tonight is going to be very different from what I usually do. I'm not necessarily going to be over a lot of the you know, verse by verse and, and explaining, but I'm just going to tell you the story of King Ahaz and Isaiah. And I might quote a few verses here and there. And this is coming from Isaiah chapters 7 through 9. So if you, uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Isaiah 7 through 9, that would be helpful because I, I will quote a few verses from there. But let me tell you the story of King Ahaz. Are you guys ready? All right, so King Ahaz was king about 200 years or, or actually a little bit over 200 years 
after King David died. So King David was, you know, the, the king par excellence, right, of Israel. He was the greatest king in the history of Israel. And under King David, the entire kingdom was prosperous. The entire kingdom was powerful. The boundaries of the kingdom had expanded even, you know, even greater than, than what God had originally promised. Um, and under King Solomon, David's son, the kingdom was also good and it was prosperous. But unfortunately, Solomon sinned against God. He disobeyed God's commands. And so the kingdom was divided. Solomon's sons, the, the uh, two of his sons, they were fighting with each other. And so the kingdom became divided into northern and southern, the northern and the southern kingdom of Israel. And so the northern kingdom was called Israel or Ephraim sometimes. And the southern kingdom was called Judah. Okay, so when you think of when the Bible, a lot of the times when the Bible, when the Bible mentions Israel, it is referring to the northern kingdom. And then when it talks about Judah, it is referring to the southern kingdom. Now, one thing to point out is that the line of David pretty quickly became polluted and disappeared in the northern kingdom. But in the southern kingdom, in Judah, the line of David actually went all the way through, right? So that leads us to know that, that the southern kingdom was, you know, the, the ones that God was really uh, uh, blessing, the ones that he wanted them to see follow him. Not that he didn't want the northern kingdom to follow him, but unfortunately, the northern, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, they were idolatrous, they disobeyed God, and eventually they were wiped out by the kingdom of Assyria, okay? So, going back to Ahaz. Ahaz was a king of Judah. He was a king of the southern kingdom. And there was a problem. The kingdom of Assyria, which was the most powerful kingdom at the time, Assyria was the most powerful kingdom. They were about to attack the northern kingdom, and, they were, and he was afraid that they would also make it all the way to the southern kingdom. And on top of that, the king of Israel had become allies with other surrounding kingdoms because they wanted to protect themselves against the king of Assyria. And they wanted Judah to join this coalition, but the king of Judah did not want to become part of this coalition. And so the king of Israel and their allies, they threatened to invade Judah to convince them, or maybe just to destroy them, to convince them to join the coalition. So in Isaiah 7-2, Isaiah 7-2, we read the response of Ahaz and really of, of all of the people of Judah. In Isaiah 7-2, we read, when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now, a couple of days ago, we got to see the trees shaking before the wind, right? If you've been to, to our house, we absolutely love that place, but our property is completely surrounded by huge trees, and the trees are a little bit too close to the house for comfort. And so when the wind was uh, uh, blowing, was it yesterday? That was like really hard. I mean, I saw, I saw the, the alert on my phone and it said danger, minor. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. It doesn't look minor to me. These trees are really shaking. Um, 
But the point here is that, the, is that King Ahaz and all of the people of Judah, they were really afraid. Their hearts were shaking. And so I'm not suggesting that we will ever find ourselves in King Ahaz's same situation, right? Because number one, I don't think any of us here are, is going to become king of a nation. But I do want us to try to identify, identify ourselves a little bit with his situation. I do think that the story of Ahaz has a lot to teach us. And so maybe there is not a kingdom, you know, maybe the northern kingdom is not threatening to invade us, but there are definitely a lot of things in our lives that will make our hearts shake. There are a lot of things in our life that will make us afraid, right? Whether it be a, a really difficult situation that you're going through at work or whether it be uh, sickness in the family, whether it be death in the family, whether it be maybe the, the uh, job, not, not having job security, not knowing what's going to happen in the next month and in, in the next year. Or maybe it could be just, you know, seeing how the world is so dark around us and how, how the world is so anti God around us and just feeling like, man, what is going on? What's going to happen? And then you make the mistake of watching the news and it's like, oh no, this is, the world is falling apart. And then you go even lower and make the mistake of, of going to Facebook or Twitter. And then it's like, oh man, we're all going to die. This is terrible. My heart is shaking like the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so I think that we can all identify with Ahaz in that, in that case, right? That we, we have all been, or maybe we are in a moment where we are just so fearful and anxious and worried because of whatever, you know, the prospect of whatever bad thing is happening. And so God sent, consecrated and sent the prophet Isaiah to speak to King Ahaz. And basically the message that God gave Ahaz is, don't worry about Israel, Ephraim. Don't worry about the other uh, nations that have become allies with them. It will come to nothing. Don't worry about that. But God invites Ahaz to have faith in him. So if you read, in, if you read with me in Isaiah 7, verses 4 through 9, this is what God tells him. And say to him, this is God telling Isaiah to tell Ahaz, be careful, be quiet, and do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the sons of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah have devised evil against you saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So there are a couple of invitations that King Ahaz is receiving from God, right? One invitation is, do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two kings. 
do not be afraid and also have faith. Have faith in me. And, and ultimately, I think that's the invitation that we are all receiving from God. Do not be afraid and have faith in me. And so whenever we find ourselves in trouble, we all, um, we all have that decision to make of saying, am I going to be afraid? Am I going to be terrified of these things? Or am I going to trust in God? So God is so, you know, God obviously is, is so, uh, so positive that this is the way that things are going to go because, because he is God, of course that he offers King Ahaz a sign. But King Ahaz actually refuses the sign. And at first it seems like King Ahaz is, is a godly man, but later we'll, we're gonna learn that, that he was not godly at all. But if you read in verse 10, chapter seven, verse 10, God offers him a sign. He says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. So it sounds godly, right? It sounds like Ahaz is like, no, no, no. I would never put the Lord to the test. But later we learn that the problem was that Ahaz had actually already made up his mind. You see, Ahaz was a really clever guy, or, or at least he thought that he was clever because he thought, okay, Israel and Syria not to be confused with Assyria. So uh, Ephraim and Syria, they have formed a coalition to come and attack me. Well, I know a nation, I know a kingdom that is way more powerful than them, and that is the kingdom of Assyria. So even though Assyria, they were their enemies, Ahaz thought that he was so clever that he said, you know what, I'm just gonna become a vessel of Assyria. In other words, I'm gonna go pay them tribute to become their ally and so that they protect me against my enemies. And so what was Ahaz doing? He had two choices, right? The choice of trusting in God and God alone, the choice to, to really believe that God was the most powerful being that he alone could rescue him or go to whatever the biggest thing he perceived to be, which for him, it was Assyria. Right? And so once again, I, I want to invite you to, to maybe uh, uh, not put yourself in his situation, but to maybe translate his situation into your own life. God is calling you to trust him. God is calling you to come to him, to have faith in him. But maybe there is something else that in your mind just seems like the greatest and most powerful solution. And your temptation, because you are so clever, just like Ahaz, your temptation is to go and trust in this other thing. Right, to so say, well, I mean, yes, God is good, God is powerful, but hey, I came up with this solution over here. This could actually work. I, I, I'm gonna give it a shot and see what happens. Well, it didn't go well for, for Ahaz. Uh, so, well, before we get into what happened with Ahaz, let's, let's read about the sign. This is the sign that God promises in, in chapter seven, verse 13. Sorry, verse, yeah, verse 13. And he said, this is God speaking to Ahaz. And he said, hear them, sorry, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. But for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So, I think it is important for us to, to realize that this was an actual a sign given to Ahaz that was going to be fulfilled in the time of Ahaz. There was actually a boy that was born in the time of Ahaz and his name was Emmanuel. And he, this boy served as a sign so that whenever the boy was a little bit older, he knew that those two kingdoms that were, uh, uh, that were conspiring against him, they would be destroyed. And sure enough, Sure enough, the kingdom of Israel did not last almost any time at all. They were destroyed because of their faithlessness in God. Now, to say that this sign was fulfilled back then is not to say that it has no other fulfillment or that it has no other future meaning or, or future expectation, right? Because the, the, the New Testament writers, they see the birth of Jesus as the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of the sign. And we will get to that, to that in a moment. For now, let's think about what this meant for King Ahaz. So we're not going to go into all of the details here, but I, I want to tell you at least what happened. Because Ahaz became allies with Assyria or became a vessel of Assyria. Well, sure enough, Assyria came, Assyria destroyed Syria, Assyria destroyed Israel, but here's the problem. And the image that, that God uses is image of water. And he says, because you let that, because you were the one to open the, the floodgates, basically, of Assyria, Assyria is going to flood all of Israel, it's going to destroy Israel, but here's the problem. The water is going to spill over to Judah. Assyria, the ones that you thought that were your friends, the ones that you thought that were going to protect you, they are actually going to come to Judah and they are going to get all the way to the neck, right? We're, we're still with the image of water. They're going to get all the way to the neck. And sure enough, we read in, in, in the historical books in the Bible that Assyria came and destroyed every single one of the Judean cities except for Jerusalem. So imagine having all of your kingdom all of a sudden being reduced to only one city. So God wasn't joking when he said that the water was going to get all the way up to their neck, where they were almost dead. And so this happened because of Ahaz's faithlessness, right? Because he had the opportunity to trust God. He had the opportunity to believe that God would truly rescue him, that God would be enough to save him against his enemies, to rescue him from this fear that, we, that he has. So he, he uh, Isaiah prophesies the, the destruction of Israel. Isaiah prophesies the, the partial destruction of Judah. But then Isaiah kind of goes into this more personal invitation for him and for his audience, where he is inviting everyone to truly believe in God. This is kind of like one of those Joshua moments when he says, you can serve all of these gods that you, that you want, but me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is basically what's going on in chapter 8, 
verse 11. Isaiah says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So we see how the prophecy of Emmanuel is actually starting to take shape here, right? It was a sign for King Ahaz, but it was a sign for everyone else as well. It was a promise that God truly would come and be with us. That's the meaning of Emmanuel. It means God with us. And so God is inviting Isaiah and his audience to believe in God, to fear God. He's giving them two options. He's saying, you can fear the Assyrians. You can fear all of these. Um, I think it's funny that he uses the word conspiracy, but I don't want to get into that. You can fear these conspiracies or you can fear and believe and trust in God. And it says, when you do this, then the Lord of hosts will either be a sanctuary or a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. So the, the, the promise, the prophecy of Emmanuel could either be really, really, really good news, or it could be terrible news, depending on your faith in God, depending on your fear of God. Right? Because if you fear God, if you love Him, if you trust in Him, if He is the strongest and, and the mightiest and you know it and you worship Him and, and He is your priority, then imagine the, the amazingness of God being with us. He says, God will be your sanctuary. The sanctuary was where the people would go and meet with God. And so he is saying, God himself will be your sanctuary. You will be with him. God will be with us. But if you went with Ahaz and trusted in Assyria or whatever else, then it's really bad news that God comes because he becomes an offense. He becomes a stumbling both to both houses of Israel a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And look at what it says in verse 15. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So it is not a good thing, right? That if you don't trust in God and God is with us, God comes, then if you don't trust in him, you stumble and you are destroyed. But if you believe in him, then he is a sanctuary and you can be in his presence. You can enjoy the presence of God. You can be saved by God. You can, be, uh, you can be delivered from your sin, from your fear, from your anxiety, from anything evil or negative that you have in your life. Even from your own self, from your own flesh, you can be delivered. So, Basically, the future is not, you know, going back to the history of, of Ahaz, the future is not looking bright for Israel or Judah. 
Israel is destroyed by the kingdom of Assyria. Because the king of Assyria is too proud, God actually raises another kingdom, the kingdom of Babylonia, and they come and destroyed Assyria, but they also come and destroy Judah. And all, the, and all of this happened because of the people of Israel, because of their faithlessness, because of their trust in anything else other than God, because of their idolatry, because of their uh, uh, because of so many different troubles. You can read all about that in the book of Isaiah. But I want us to get to the point where this prophecy of Emmanuel really becomes amazing and extremely good news. And so if you skip forward to chapter 9, the, 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 uh, you know, the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, all of these things that are going to be mentioned, these are now, these, at the time that this is being written, they are prophesied to be absolutely deserted. They are prophesied to be destroyed. And so I mentioned this so that you realize like, oh wow, this prophecy is saying that out of this place that there was absolutely nothing, out of this place that was destroyed by their enemies, something good is gonna come out of that. And so in chapter nine, verse one, the prophecy says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they, drive, when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot on the trampling of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled into blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse six, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this is the context of this promise, right? The context is a failed kingdom, a conquered people, a people that failed to trust in God and therefore they were in absolute darkness. And then you get the promise of a child, a child that would become a king, but that would become a greater king, even greater than David. All of these other kings in the history of Israel and Judah, they failed. They brought the kingdom to ruins. An office, the office of king that was supposed to be a good thing they ruined it because of their sin, because of their idolatry. 
But the amazing and incredible news is the promise that God makes that a child would be born and that he would be the ultimate king. He would be the perfect king. He would reign forever. He would do justice. He would uphold the kingdom with justice and righteousness. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is Emmanuel. He is the promised child that would be born. And so on that first Christmas day when Jesus was born, that was the beginning of the fulfillment of this promise. And as I mentioned earlier, we now look forward to his second coming when he will finally come and establish his eternal kingdom. When he will finally come and defeat all evil, defeat death, and finally destroy all sin and rule forever with justice, with righteousness. That's why Christmas is so important. That's why the name Emmanuel is so important because it means that God is with us in the person of Jesus. And that's why we gather here every Sunday. We gather to worship the Lord Jesus, to remember his sacrifice, to remember his birth, his perfect life, his, his death on the cross and his resurrection because if Jesus had not come, then we would still be in darkness. We would still be lost and we would be absolutely without hope. So the invitation for you, the invitation for us is the same one that King A has received. Will you continue in fear? Will you continue in uh, uh, anxiety and fear of whatever else is out there? Or will you trust that God is actually the one that can bring eternal peace, eternal joy, and eternal kingdom? Do you believe that God, through Jesus, is the one that can actually save you? So let's spend some time remembering the Lord Jesus, remembering his sacrifice as we uh, partake of communion. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have entrusted your life to him, you are welcome to come up here and take the, the bread, take the cup and bring it back to your seat. And we will sing a song together to our God and then we will partake of the, of the elements. Let's pray. God, we trust in you. But we also acknowledge that we are weak that there are so many things out there that seem so powerful and that call for our trust, for our allegiance. But God, help us to remember that you are the most powerful and that you are a sanctuary to those who fear you, to those who trust in you. Help us to remember that you sent your son Jesus to be here with us. You sent Emmanuel, God, with us. Lord, help us to trust in you. Even as we remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on the cross, Lord, I pray that our faith, our trust, our confidence would be in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.